2023. Welcome to Muse News, the BCMA's monthly museum sector news podcast. Each month we recap some of the latest breaking news, happenings, and announcements from museums, galleries, and heritage organizations across BC and beyond. I'm Ryan Hunt, joined today by Lorenda Calvert. Over to you, Lorenda. I'm happy to be here joining and filling in for Leah Patterson as she's away on vacation. One of Canada's most celebrated painters and printmakers will soon be featured at the Kelowna Art Gallery. From July 1st to October 1st, audiences will have the opportunity to see a career-spanning retrospective of Prince from Takeo Tanabe, who is recognized for his beautifully rendered landscapes that bridge the gap between abstraction and realism. Takeo Tanabe's work contains so much raw, physical, and emotional power within them, said Natalie Nagy, the executive director at the gallery. We are very honored to present this within Canada, a 75-year survey of Tanabe's accomplished printmaking, with work borrowed from the Vancouver Art Gallery and the Winnipeg Art Gallery. Some of the works to be showcased in the Takeo Tanabe Printmaker Exhibition are the two lino-cut Christmas cards from 1948 and a West Coast landscape titled Camoran Island from 2023, Prairie Storm from 1979, a landscape that breaks broader conventions in printmaking by incorporating Malacca Straight Dawn from 2004, a woodcut print that utilizes form and color to depict a stillness between ocean and land, will also be featured. The views I favor are the gray mists, the rain-obscured islands, and the clouds that hide the details, Tanabe says of his approach. However much we desire order and clarity in all the details of our lives, there are always unexpected events that cloud and change our course. Life is ragged. The typical weather of the coast is like that. Just enough detail to make it interesting, but not so clear as to banal or overwhelming. It can be a metaphor for life. Tanabe, who is 96 years old, won a Governor General's Award in 2003. He has also been a recipient of two honorary degrees, including the Order of British Columbia in 1993 and the Order of Canada in 1999. Behind the selection of work on view at the Kelowna Art Gallery is Ian M. Tom, a guest curator who has included prints that have never been exhibited until now. The exhibition is accompanied by a 72-page catalog with essays by Tom and curator Christine May. RCMP investigating after Kelowna Art Gallery trans pride flag torn down three times in one month. The Kelowna Art Gallery is vowing to fly another trans pride flag, bigger and higher, after a pride flag raised for Pride Month was torn down three times in just over one month. Kelowna RCMP have arrested one man suspected of tearing down the flag on the evening of May 31st and are investigating two more reported incidents on June 17th and July 1st, according to a statement emailed to the CBC on Monday. Natalie Nagy, the gallery's executive director, says the Pride flag was put up for Pride Month alongside a rainbow Pride flag. Staff first noticed the trans flag was gone when they arrived at the gallery around 9 in the morning of June 1st. Quote, for us who are trying to be more inclusive, accessible, and open to all ideas, it is pretty disheartening to feel that we live in a community where being trans is not accepted, or you can just rip down the flag, said Naji in an interview. While it doesn't appear that the suspect in the first case is responsible for the other incidents, the Kelowna Art Gallery is concerned that the flag has been targeted multiple times. The gallery wants to see all three incidents investigated as hate crimes, not just acts of vandalism. 
In an email statement to CBC, Kelowna RCMP Corporal Michael Gauthier did not respond to the question about whether these incidents were being investigated as hate crimes. How do you move a vintage supersonic jet with no engine from CFB Comox to Victoria International Airport at night and with a very skilled crew using a large flatbed truck and trailer? If you happened upon a light-flashing convoy carrying a CF-104 Starfighter in the early morning hours earlier this month, it was headed to the BC Aviation Museum at the airport as its newest display. The Canadair Starfighter, which is 54 feet long with a 22-foot wingspan and weighing 10,000 pounds, was Canada's Cold War supersonic nuclear-capable jet using mostly in Europe from 1962 until it was replaced by the CF-18 Hornets in 1987. The jet is a gift to the Aviation Museum from CFB Comox. Nickel Brothers, the company that moves houses and anything huge and unwieldy, did the move. It's a technical and operational feat and a two-year process just to get it here, said Steve Nickel, president of the BC Aviation Museum. But you know, if anyone can do it, it's Nickel Brothers. They move anything and they do it very well. The museum paid Nickel Brothers $21,000 to move the jet. The plan is to restore the Starfighter to its original colors and decals, remove the wings to address corrosion issues, and eventually display it at the museum. Nickel said the Starfighter, although primarily used by the Canadian Air Force in Europe and for training at Cold Lake, Alberta, is an important piece of aviation history that should be restored. It was an absolute hot rod, said Nickel. In terms of speed, very few could catch a Starfighter. I've never met a pilot who didn't love it. Nickel's own father flew a Starfighter when he was stationed in France. The Starfighter has very thin and stubby wings, a distinctive T-tail, and a powerful engine. While the small wing area resulted in poor turning capability and high landing speeds, it had excellent acceleration and became the first production aircraft to achieve Mach 2, twice the speed of sound, and to reach an altitude of 100,000 feet following a takeoff under its own power. Entering service with the United States Air Force in 1958, designer Kelly Johnson's Starfighter was the first aircraft to simultaneously hold world records for speed, altitude, and time to climb. The Starfighter was widely touted as a missile with a man in it, said Nickel. The Starfighter had a relatively short frontline career with the United States Air Force and saw long service in 15 countries with 2,578 jets produced. Despite its designs as a high-altitude interceptor, Canadian Air Limited of Montreal produced 200 single-seat starfighters optimized for a low-level nuclear strike role. Designated the CF-104, the Canadian variant featured a strengthened fuselage and wings, robust landing gear, and a special hardpoint for either a nuclear weapon or a reconnaissance camera pod, according to the Aviation Museum. RCAF squadrons in Europe were equipped with the CF-104 as a major NATO commitment. At the end of 1971, Canada switched from a nuclear to a conventional attack role that saw the Starfighter re-equipped with conventional bombs, rockets, and the M16 Vulcan Gatling gun. The CF-104 is the fastest aircraft Canada ever deployed and the only one that had a nuclear strike role, said Nickel. It also holds the Canadian altitude record of 100,110 feet set in 1967 by Robert Bud White, a Vancouver resident.
The Starfighter will complete the museum's other jet aircraft from the Cold War era, a Lockheed CT-133 Silver Star trainer. The museum's Starfighter was produced in 1962 and based at RCAF station Cold Lake until April 1991, when it was transferred to the Comox Military Museum. Vintage mahogany reclaimed and redone in an imaginative new Vancouver Museum exhibit. As the Director of Collections and Exhibitions at the Museum of Vancouver, Vivian Gosling gets calls about all sorts of stuff. But recently, she got a very unusual offer. Quote, This person contacts me and says, We literally have tons of mahogany, Gosling recounts. Would you be interested? She was, but was left with a conundrum. What can we do with this amazing gift? The answer is a new exhibit, Reclaim and Repair, The Mahogany Project, which opens Thursday at the museum in Kitsilano. The museum put out a call to local artists to come up with designs that they could make using mahogany, a once plentiful wood that is now endangered. There are now international restrictions on the importation of mahogany. It has to have an export permit from the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Flora and Fauna. But because this wood was harvested in the 1950s to 1970s in Nicaragua and Guatemala, before the restrictions, it could be reused. So museum workers with a selection committee from the design and architecture world had to pick designs in a variety of forms. 31 artists from 22 design teams and studios worked on the project. Crafting tables, chairs, artwork, jewelry, a guitar, a surfboard, and more. The artists were paid a commission to make the works, which are now on sale from $95 to $12,000. One third of the sale price will go to indigenous reforestation in Guatemala and Nicaragua, the rest to the artists. The first museum on Vancouver Island dedicated to Punjabi Sikh history is now open. The Paldi Historical Museum, which recently opened in one of the rooms of the Paldi Sikh Temple located west of Duncan at 23 Paldi Road, explores the history of Paldi an historic migrant town founded in 1916. The town story was the subject of the latest Heritage Minute production. At that time frame, when racism was so rampant, it was a safe haven for a lot of people, said Seth Winder Beans, an associate professor and director of South Asian Studies at the University of Fraser Valley. Japanese, Chinese, Punjabis, and Europeans all worked and lived together in Paldi, initially called Mayo Siding after Mayo Singh, the town's primary founder. Singh, along with about 35 other shareholders, established a successful company mill town despite two devastating fires early in the settlement's history. By 1927, Pali's population had grown to 1,500, of which about 150 were single working men, according to the research from Historica Canada. The town had its own school and post office and a Japanese temple that doubled as a community hall. Pali residents hosted week-long volleyball and kabaddi tournaments. By most accounts, the community was thriving until the mill closed in 1945 in the face of economic downturns, the forced dispossession of its Japanese-Canadian population, and the establishment of bigger mills in the region. Many in Pauly chose to remain and commute to working in Honeymoon Bay and its surrounding communities even until the late 1960s. The last of its residential buildings were torched in 2005 as fire suppression practices for local fire departments. No one lives in Paldi today, though its Gudwara, a place of worship established in 1919 and last rebuilt in 1959, still stands and remains an active gathering place. For us, Paldi is a living history. 
We don't have a lot of living artifacts or spaces that we can go to in Canada and we can say, we were here, Bain said. We built BC too, one log at a time. It's important to respect these early settlers, even with the understanding that they themselves were displacing First Nations people at the time, Bain said. The opening of the Paldi Historical Museum is significant for Dave Mayo, the Paldi Sikh Temple's president, who grew up in Paldi. Creating the museum was a long-standing wish of his mother, Joan Mayo, he said. We pushed for it and got it all done. Much of the research showcased in the museum comes from Joan Mayo, author of Remembering Paldi, a history book that was the culmination of decades worth of research. Joan Mayo, now 92, visited the museum and was just amazed, Dave Mayo said. Cowichan Malahat Langford MP Alistair McGregor, who attended the opening, said the museum is a tribute to the enduring legacy of Sikh immigrants. For over 100 years, the Cowichan Valley has drawn strength from the Paldi community's rich history of inclusion and respectfulness, McGregor said in a statement. I look forward to the Paldi Historical Museum standing as a testament to the pioneering spirit and resilience of the Sikh immigrants who settled in Paldi and played a vital role in the growth of our region. Vancouver Art Exhibit honors Black Lives Lost while interacting with police. An art exhibit paying tribute to Black individuals who lost their lives interacting with police across North America is set to launch in Vancouver this Wednesday. After three years of preparation, the Black Lives Matter Memorial Project Art Exhibition will open its doors at the Alternatives Gallery, located at 1659 Venable Street near Vancouver's Strathcona community. The exhibit will run from July 26th to August 2nd. Toronto-based artist Cyrus Marcus Ware, who also teaches art at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario, will present 10 portraits of black individuals who died in interactions with police, including George Floyd. The Vancouver exhibit will feature black stone slabs engraved with the names and places of birth and death dates of Martin and more than 400 other black persons who lost their lives in police interactions since 2012. Quote, We don't want any of these people to have their names forgotten, to pass into obliteration, Ware says. We want to always remember that these people should be alive today. As part of the exhibition, there will be a video installation of the performance of Black Elegy, a classical music piece composed by Jason Akeem Rogers, specifically for this event. Rogers also founded the all-black orchestra, Orchestra Noir, in Atlanta in 2016. The Black Lives Matter Memorial Project Art Exhibition will be free for admission due to funding from Canada Council for the Arts, the British Columbia Arts Council, and the Vancouver Biennial. A new exhibition explores the history and future of power generation and climate change in the Qualicum Beach area. We Have Power is housed in the newly restored Powerhouse Heritage Building on the Qualicum Beach Museum grounds and takes the viewer through the history of local energy generation, as well as reminding people to think about the future. It chronicles the history of power generation from the discovery of coal fields on the island in 1850 to the first steam engine's arrival in town, 1914, to the shift from fossil fuels to renewable energy. The displays were created to be environmentally friendly as possible, according to Lorraine Bell, the museum manager. We minimized the use of plastic by printing directly onto plywood, Bell said. We chose against creating an energy-consuming, climate-controlled system. 
Instead, it might be a bit warm in the summer, it might be a bit cool in the winter. We can wear a sweater and still see the exhibit and use a lot less fossil fuels. Bell added she hopes the exhibit can encourage visitors to think about climate change solutions in a new way. Although it is a permanent exhibit, it is mobile and can be moved out to make way for other exhibits or to travel to another museum. We wanted to have that opportunity to make it a community space of ongoing learning, Bell said, adding that the museum would like to host some temporary exhibits related to power and energy, such as food security and sustainable energy. The exhibit was the result of a lot of research, which included many diverse perspectives from scientists, hydro workers, artists, First Nations, different levels of government and youth climate activists. We really wanted to center the land and give the land a voice, Bell said. The exhibit features some very important ecosystems that are right here in Qualicum Beach. With a reminder that they're not only beautiful places to walk and relax, but they also play a crucial role in our health and well-being. Bell also thanked Carrie Reed and assistant manager Kissel Reed for helping the museum center indigenous ecological knowledge in understanding and addressing the impacts of climate change. The Powerhouse project began in 2021 thanks to funding from the province via the Community Economic Recovery Investment Program. The building, constructed in 1929, was updated in keeping with its heritage status. It is one of 12 sites listed in Qualicum Beach as part of Canada's historic places. The Qualicum Beach Museum is open from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Tuesdays through Saturday for its summer hours, which lasts until the end of September. We Have Power opened on June 23rd. And that's the news for July 2023. If you have news, information, or stories to share about BC's arts, culture, and heritage sector, email bcma at museum.bc.ca. We look forward to seeing you next month for another episode of Muse News.